Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Susan Gates, and I forgot about my little jingle, so there you go. Good morning again. It's Susan Wingate, and I am your host for Dialogue Between the Lines, where we meet every Tuesday and speak with someone about fiction, whether that's an author, an agent, or a publisher. And I'm happy to say today's guest is Chip McGregor, and he'll be joining us real quick here. Um, he's live in the studio, and uh, I'm just waiting for the queue to go live. But um, I just want to direct you over to my website. It's www.susanwingate.com, and I have a very active blog. I talk about everything from writing to deer to Alzheimer's disease, which my mother passed away last year. Um, I've been working on the Dementia Chronicles, and um, that's at the editor right now. So, um, But you can read those blog posts. They're separate, and they're in the blog. So all you have to do is go over to my blog. It says blog. And, uh, again, that's SusanWingate.com. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all those social sites, um, which can be manipulated, apparently, through uh, Russian hackers. So that's always fun to know. Um, But to get off of that completely, I wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about our guest on the show today. Again, it's Chip McGregor. He's a literary agent, and his offices are out of Oregon. Um, Chip McGregor's literary agency is called McGregor Literary, and you can find him at McGregorLiterary.com. And it was founded by Chip in August of 2006. Chip has been a publisher with Time Warner, a senior editor with a couple of houses, and had worked at another literary agency for several years before deciding to start his own. Uh, from the first day, he wanted to, the company to help authors think strategically about their careers, whether that was in the type of story, the choice of publisher and venue, or simply the direction of the, the author wanted to move in his or her own art. Now, ten year, well, it's 12 years old now. Um, 12 years old, the agency has represented nearly 1,000 books, and Chip's blog, which um, we're going to get into a little bit, is read regularly. And there's a ton of information that will be remain, I believe, on the blog, but we'll get clarification on that um, uh, throughout the industry. And just as when we began, we're always on the lookout for books. And just, I'm sorry, and just as when they began, they were, they're always on the lookout for books. I'm reading this information from his website, again, which you can find at McGregorLiterary.com, and that's M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R, literary.com, all one word. Um, Chip has presented at workshops at more than 200 publishing conferences. He must be exhausted and has spoken at colleges and universities and is frequently invited to speak to writers groups around the country on topics of writing and publishing, and apparently with um, radio show hosts as well. So um, without further delay, Chip, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Of course. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. Um, Again, you know what, why don't we jump to the blog right away, because um, I just found this out. I just went over there and, and you decided to stop your blog. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I had done the uh, blog, which was just my name, Chip McGregor. Um, uh, you know, I'd done the blog for uh, 11 years. Um, and I always say to people, I really did it for 10 because I, I did it for about six years and then I took a year off and just used uh, 
older stuff uh, and kind of recycled it uh, and then came back to it. When I started the blog, I was, uh, more than anything, I, I just felt as though writers needed a place to go where they could find information and they could ask questions and get their questions answered in, uh, from a, a real-world perspective, not somebody who you know, is, uh, is guessing or somebody else who's just kind of starting out, but somebody who's got some experience and can say, oh, it's like this. Because uh, you know, a lot of things in publishing, it, it just takes a while to figure out the crazy business that we're in. And so I started it just as a way to let people ask questions, and I would answer them. And I told people I could ask anything they wanted. And uh, if I knew I'd talk about it, I sometimes involve some other people, some marketing specialists, for example, some editors, some publishers. Um, and uh, for the first uh, six years, it was great. Uh, several times we were named to the list. Uh, Writers Digest named us, uh, you know, one of the, one of the 100 best uh, websites for writers. Um, and as the business grew, I got busy. I found I just didn't have time for it. I, I stepped back, took a year off kind of recycled some stuff, and it lost a lot of energy. And when I came back to it, a couple of things happened. You know, I think the tone of conversations on the Internet had changed, had gotten considerably harsher, which we saw, again, with the elections, you know, last, uh, you know, a year ago. Um, But then also uh, we saw this divide come up between authors who are traditionally published that is published you know by a publishing house and authors who are um uh indie published or self-published two things i mean i'm supportive of both worlds i work with authors who indie publish i work with authors who traditionally publish um i've always been supportive of both but uh really there they got to be this situation where uh people on the indie side just didn't want to listen. They, you know, I, I felt that they had all the answers. There was only one way to go. There was only one thing that there was only one right way to do this. And, you know, and I kept deleting comments about, you know, well, only stupid people publish with, uh, with a traditional publisher or, you know, uh, you know, you know, only stupid people, only only dumb authors will get an agent and give away a percentage of their money and everything. You know, written by people who have very little experience, but who felt that they, um, they had all the answers. And I got tired of fighting it, and I just realized, you know what? Just, I felt it was a pearls before swine sort of situation. So I just said, okay, you know, I don't need the aggravation for this. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to. Um, I'll leave the blog up for a while to let people be able to reach through it, uh, you know, kind of find the answers. So if they had questions about how do you do a a fiction proposal, what are the elements of a of a proposal, or what makes a nonfiction proposal really stand out, or uh, what does an acquisitions editor do? What does a development edit look like? What are the elements of a of a basic publishing contract, and what should I look for? Um, how do I start a, a writing group, or how do I get the most out of uh, uh, out of a, a writing partner, you know, I thought I would leave the information up for a while, let people kind of wander through it. And then after a while, I would just take it down because I think that information can start to be dated. Um, so it's, uh, I have not participated. I haven't put anything new on there in a while. And really the, the last event that happened, Susan, was that, uh, 
I had a publisher come on uh, just to answer questions about what's happened with the Christian fiction, mm-hmm. which has just you know gone in the toilet in terms of retail sales. Um, and it doesn't take a genius to look at the market and say, well, you know, Harvest House used to do Christian fiction. They don't do it anymore. Cook used to do Christian fiction. They don't do it anymore. Nat Press used to do Christian fiction. They don't do it anymore. You know, to name all these houses that used to do it and that they're not doing it at all anymore. And then to look at the lists at Simon & Schuster, at Random House, um, at uh, at Hachette, and to realize where they used to have a, a long line of fiction. Now, if they're doing any, it's a few books a year. So, I mean, anybody can look at the situation from a traditional publishing point of view and realize, boy, um, you know, fiction is much harder to get into, much harder to get the attention of an editor, much harder to get published. And, uh, you know, and so I had a, a guy from one of the fiction houses come on and say, you know, it's interesting that fiction continues, Christian fiction continues to sell, but it's migrated. And so there's a lot of, uh, um, th- there's still a, a bunch of books selling, but we're seeing a lot more indie published books. We're seeing a lot more um, books from very small houses. And, you know, and as a publisher, of course, he feels he's got some territory to defend. So he talked about, you know, the, uh, the, his perceived lack of editing, his perceived lack of marketing and of, uh, and of reach, sales reach. Um, but, you know, he based his, uh, he based his comments on, not only his own experience, but on the research that they uh, that he'd been part of into the market, and the response to it from and this is no exaggeration from hundreds uh, of people was that uh, he was wrong, didn't know anything, he was an elitist, uh, and it was like okay, so people at that point I just realized there are people who have decided oh, no. on this. They don't they don't want to hear another side. They don't want to hear truth, if you will. They uh, mm-hmm. because they know everything. And at that point, I just was like, well, well why am I doing this then? So I, I have a, a you know, very busy literary agency. Uh, I work with some great authors. Uh, uh, you know what? I'll just, uh, I'll just step away from this um, and find other vehicles for being able to talk to people about the industry. So that's probably a longer answer than you want to, but that's, that's the history of what went on with it. So I've just left it up for a while some point I'm just going to take it down. I've had some people say, oh, leave it up kind of for posterity's sake because it's interesting. But my problem is things start to get dated. And, right. uh, and I don't want to leave dated materials up so that people, you know, things, you know how it is when you pull out your high school yearbook and you look at hairstyles and fashion and you realize uh, everything seems quaint and uh, I have no interest in having, yeah. having people think I'm quaint. So, uh. <laughs> well, I certainly do, um, <laughs> but no, you're right because, and especially in the publishing industry, when things are changing so fast, and we're also hearing rumblings of different types of electronic books coming out, um, more of right. uh, so. So things are going to change once again within this very short time of this amazing uh, technological change in publishing. So um, I totally uh, 
understand why you would want to possibly take it down. My also, you know, and, and we had talked a little bit about this before the show began. Um, you know, authors use blogging for um, marketing and to draw people to their website and to also throw people over to their Facebook pages or wherever. But you know, it's 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 directional as far as blogging goes for me i'm trying to direct um the people that read my blog to other things you know of course to to my books um and and i know that you have books for sale um you've got the uh step-by-step pitches and proposals you've got how can i find um a, a literary agency 101 um and and these are from questions asked by authors or writers, people that are trying to break through and get into the traditional publishing. Um, so I, I was always, I'm always curious, and I, I think it's just, just a service, just a time constraint that's put upon the agent who decides to do the blog for the purpose of helping out writers. And if writers can't understand that, then, they're, then they don't understand the business because you guys don't, you're not lacking people coming to you and asking or or querying or proposing for your representation. So, yeah, so that's, I never... that's a very sweet comment. I, I, uh, I really, um, I, for me as a literary agent, having done this a long time, I mean, if you uh, add the, you know, the years I spent with the other agency before I started my own, yeah, it's about 20 years uh, I've been agenting, had a lot of success, had, you know, and, and so it's, I don't really need to market myself or my company very much in terms of being able to, you know, attract uh, people coming to me. The fact is I have people coming on a regular basis and, you know, the agency's up and doing well and everything. So, yeah, for me, that kind of, uh, that sort of marketing, which is great for an author, yeah, it's not really necessary for me at this stage. It might be for an agent who's just beginning. Right. Um, but no, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not nominating myself for sainthood here, by the way, Susan, I'm just saying, I put it up because I, I thought it would be a, a great avenue for teaching people. Um, and, uh, and it was, but that's, and, uh, you know, I think that time's passed. And so, so, and I've been at peace with it. it. It took me a couple of months to figure out, okay, had I done the right thing? But I've realized now after having been off it for several months, it's like, no, I'm, I'm at peace with my decision to just shut the blog down. Right. Well, I've, I I take this stance about any kind of decisions. If I have any kind of negative niggling going on, then I wait and see. Um, and then usually it just fades. The idea fades out, and it and it goes away. Um, I uh, I had to make the same decision when I got so busy with take the caregiving of my mom. I had to make a decision in two two different areas. Um, deaconing, which I'm a deacon at the Presbyterian Church here in town, and also um, with the with uh, the radio show, the dialogue. So I took a pause um, on that because I just couldn't bring myself to doing everything. And those two were not that it's incredibly time consuming for the radio show, um, but there is some prep, and there you know, and there's there is some time associated. Definitely the deaconing. Um, but uh, that I definitely have to drop because it is time-consuming. But um, and since you know her passing, I've gone back. It, it's that way when in both. Um, so I'm happy to say um, 
and I and I loved both. I loved the the uh, radio show because you know it's, I live on an island. You know where I live, and um, and I it's really sometimes the only time I get to talk with other people in the industry. So it's very. Right. It's nice for me. It gives me an energy that, you know, you get when you go out and do um, writers' conferences. And, and, and by the way, the 200, oh, my goodness. And I know that that was like how many years ago that they, that was like two years ago that you wrote that uh, description. How many do you think have you been, have you attended since then? Oh, uh, only a couple, actually. I, you know, I, I, I love conferences because I like uh, public yeah. speaking, and and I really enjoy being around a bunch of writers. You know, there's not that many times. Oftentimes, with publishing things, it's more sales shows. You know, so there's trade right. shows and uh, and stuff like that where you're. You, but the nice thing about a writers' convention is you can show up and you're just you're around artists who want to create. And so going to something right. like uh, RWA Romance Writers of America or the Mystery Writers of America or thriller writers or American Christian fiction writers going to a, a great conference like that is so fun and there's so yeah. much energy and you see old friends and you get a chance to talk to people. Um, but I actually, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I just, I decided I needed to take a break from conferences and it was very different. This had nothing to do with how people were responding. It was, uh, um, I just had come to a place where, I thought that um, I needed a, a break from those. Yeah. One thing is when, when you when you've been doing when you've been doing a lot of conferences and you've been um, uh, you've been working in the industry for a long time, it's easy to get. Uh, almost a, a, you know, be treated like a rock star, uh, you know, and there's not many yeah. places where a literary agent's going to be treated like a rock star, <laughs> frankly. Uh, but I've seen it. I've seen it with, uh, I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with other people where they're going to all these conferences and after a while people are just, they're sort of you know, trailing after them. Like they've, you know, they, they've got acolytes and everything. And uh-huh. um, I just thought to myself, you know, that's probably not the healthiest thing uh, for me to have, uh, to be in a situation to have everybody telling me how fabulous I am. And so maybe I'll take a break. So I've, I've taken a, last, uh, a break for the last couple of years. I did one conference last year uh, in the Midwest, um, and that was it. And um, yeah. I haven't done any uh, this year um, at all. I, I'll be speaking to a, a little writer's group, but... Yeah, uh, and again, I don't get me wrong. I love conferences, and I think conferences are a great place for writers to go to. So if you are uh, a writer or or a prospective writer, well, a conference would be a great place to meet other writers, to connect with them, to meet some editors, to learn about the craft from more experienced people, to make some connections that you can use um, with editors and publishers, uh, and to to hang out with other people who you know are just as crazy as you. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of conferences. I just decided for my own uh, mental health, I thought. Uh, I didn't need everybody to tell me how fabulous I was. I so when you said as crazy I, as you, you weren't talking directly to me, were you? No, uh, no, not directly. <laughs> I'm teasing. I am so teasing. Yeah. 
I'm just kidding. So, and I feel the same way. I loved going to conferences, but it got, um, I couldn't. My mom started getting sick. And so things, you know, over the last, it's been about five years. I've been to one in that whole time, but she was starting to get sick. Then she moved in and it was just, you know, too much. There was no way that I could really leave her being the primary caregiver, um, which also kept me home you know, instead of thinking about what I'm going to present at any writer's conference, it kept me home um, wor- working on writing and craft. So, um, so well, I'll, I will admit that I have, I've missed it. And I've, I've thought about going too. to a conference. I, I've thought about going to a conference this year just as a participant, not to, yeah. not to present or anything like that, but just to hang out with other people. Cause I really do enjoy it. I, I, again, if you're a writer and you're listening, I, I would tell you, a conference, I think, is one of the best things you can do to move your career forward if you're starting out. Uh, it's just a great a great way to connect with other people in the industry. It is. It's definitely. And the energy that I always find at the conferences, I just love them. Um, the energy is astounding. You come out of a conference or come home and you're just buzzing still with ideas, with um, you know, it's just that jolt of creativity thrown into your brain, and you just—I um, I find them thrilling myself. But um, you know, you'd have to go incognito if you went as a participant. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, one of the—you would. You'd have to wear. Of... You'd have to wear that. Old, you know, um, what's his name? The uh, uh, Marx Brothers. What's his name? Groucho Marx. Oh glasses. yeah, uh, Groucho glasses and. Yeah, no, but kilt, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, your kilt would yeah. be great with those glasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so you let's talk about your agency. You have two other agents. You have Amanda, and I'm going to probably rip it apart. Liedeke, um and Brian Tibbetts. Is it Liedeke yes, and correct. and um, and Brian Tibbetts that work alongside of you? And also, I wanted to. Um, uh, talk about the fact that you've kind of changed your focus on um, on on what on what fiction you're you're taking. I know you do a lot of nonfiction as well, but um, uh, so your focus has changed for fiction. Um, do you want to talk about the other agents and and what you also like to see come across your desk? Sure, I'd love to. Amanda Liedeke and I have worked together for about seven years. Amanda is a graduate of Taylor University's writing program. Um, she got her bachelor's in, in writing, is a, a talented writer, uh, a really good editor, has great word skills. Um, and, um, and Amanda's been sort of our in-house marketing expert. So she has uh, helped several authors not just authors who represent, but she's helped several authors with like uh, social media campaigns and things like that. She really knows her stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, I think in, the, in part, one of the highlights of doing the blog that you had talked about earlier was uh, Amanda used to do something called Thursdays with Amanda, which was just, just focused on marketing and people would send in marketing questions. And, oh, it's mm-hmm. so insightful. Uh, so Amanda focuses on, uh, a lot of nonfiction and spirituality titles, and there is a notice going out this week uh, through uh, Publishers uh, Publishers Lunch that Amanda has. Uh, we've named Amanda Vice President uh, 
Uh, we've worked oh, together wow. a long time, and um, uh, oh, what a I really thing. see, yeah, and yeah, she's, and, and you know, she's taken on more and more uh, roles uh, with the company. You know, the agency has has flexed in size. We've been as big as ten people and and as, as small as four, um, and uh, because we've had some people you know, agent for a while and then decide to move on to other things um, or decide to go out and start their own agencies. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's flexed. And so there's, uh, there's some administrative stuff that goes along with all of that. So Amanda, um, it's just being announced is going to be uh, the vice president of the company and we'll continue to work with a full slate of authors on, uh, on nonfiction and spirituality books. Brian Tibbetts, um, Brian, focuses on spec fiction and sci-fi in the general market. Brian um, is not only a published author, he's, uh, uh, he has his master's in publishing uh, and um, has been running the Independent Publishing Association uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And so he is uh, uh, really well-connected um, with uh, a lot of those presses. And so Brian, a lot of the people on the CBA side don't know about Brian because he's working on the general market side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as, as fiction goes, uh, you had asked the question about how our fiction has changed. Um, you know, I mean, frankly, there are far fewer opportunities to do Christian fiction. And I, you know, when I first started the company, Christian fiction was booming and we jumped in with both feet and represented all kinds of projects. And then, you know, as, as that has um, uh, slowed down and shrunk, uh, we have also shrunk that side. Um, so there's some authors who we worked with for a long time that we're no longer working with. It's not that there's anything bad. We just decided uh, that wasn't going to be a focus. Um you know, this is a for-profit venture <laughs> that I run here, and um, and so what? you know, yeah, and so we don't we don't do nearly as many uh, inspirational fiction titles or CBA fiction titles just because there's not as much of a market for it. Um, so instead, we shifted to um, we've we've done more genre stuff in the general market, uh, and we've done more much more literary fiction in the general market. Oh, very good. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I wasn't aware of the literary fiction, but now I am. And that is, uh, and, you know, and I've seen a shift also. Um, you know, I, I, it felt like there was a slow shift with, um, oh, I'm going to, uh, The Art of Racing in the Rain, Garth Stein's The Art of Racing in the Rain. And since then, I think people have, you know, tried to emulate that because why not? It's gorgeous work, and um, right. and I've it, and so you see a lot of uh, you know coming of age books, um, just uh, you know uh, uh, trouble in personal life types of books, just you know figuring out life, the meaning of life kinds of books, um, uh, and and it's just. They're so rewarding to read. Um, so that's that's yeah, great that, information. Let, let me talk to that a little bit because I think a yeah. lot of I think a lot of writers um, don't realize that when we talk about category fiction or genre fiction, we're basically talking about fiction that fits into categories that have rules. So here's what I mean by that: mm-hmm. if you are writing a romance, 
there are certain rules you have to follow in a romance. The, the hero and heroine have to meet early on. Um, they're going to get together. So, you know, events are going to drive them together. There's going to be some kind of a conflict which uh, tries to push them apart. With, uh, with nearly every romance, um, then there's a satisfying ending where the, you know, the hero and heroine get together. Occasionally there's a tragedy where they do not. But, but I, there are rules to that. There's rules to a, a mystery, in a mystery, something happens at the start, and as we work through it, we we try and you know solve the mystery, and the mystery has to be resolved at the last page. Nobody wants to read a mystery where at the end we don't know what happened. You know, um, a thriller has rules. A thriller is moving towards some sort of cataclysmic ending, and um, and again, it has to be resolved by the last page so that, uh, and, you know, usually in a way that um, is satisfying so that, uh, um, you know, uh, not always, but generally, you know, a good triumphs over evil and uh, uh, in a police procedural, um, there's a crime committed, the investigator comes, they start looking at, it, they're looking at clues, there might be good clues, bad clues, there's different suspects and everything, but they work through the procedure and they solve the crime at the end. That's what category fiction is. That's what genre fiction is. Literary fiction, all those stories that don't play by the rules, uh, they tend to, literary fiction tends to look at the deeper questions of life, as you say. Who am I? Why am I here? What's Mm -hmm. my purpose in life? Who is God? It also tends to look at not just ourselves, but our relationships. Um, you know, how do I get along with, you know, the, the people around me, my, my family, my parents, my, you know, my significant other. Um, and it tends to look at uh, uh, the notion of, of growth and accomplishment. I mean, we, we follow this character and they grow through things and they change and there's actual, there's, you know, so they're speaking to literary fiction is speaking to the great life questions, uh, and so most people categorize fiction that way. There's it's category or genre fiction, and then there's literary fiction. And mm-hmm. I would argue that most literary fiction. Now let me put it another way. I would argue that um, the fiction that actually changes us, the fiction, the novels we read. You know, I'll read it and I come away a different person. I understand the world better. I understand myself better. I've been moved not just emotionally through a scene, but I've been moved to be different in somehow, that art changes us. That's almost always literary fiction. I can point to very few category novels. Category novels are entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, you know, we don't. Our life doesn't change because we read an Agatha Christie cozy mystery. We're entertained by it, but we're not necessarily changed by it. Um, uh, you know, our life doesn't change because we read a wonderful romance novel. We, we're entertained by it. Maybe we are moved emotionally or we cry because something touching happens. Um, but our lives aren't necessarily changed by it. But then sometimes you'll come across a book and it's like, Oh, my, my life has changed because I read that. And that's almost always literary fiction. Uh, so um, uh, that's something that – that's a distinction that I think a lot of writers, when they're first getting in the, into the business, they miss. Um, 
there's something else that I, I would want to say about all of this uh, as regards to Christian fiction that I think is important. If if I can have another two minutes, is that is that okay? Absolutely, Susan? take as long as you want. Okay, so Christian fiction, um, it, it, CBA Christian fiction is dominated by ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers, an organization that I belong to, very supportive of. I'm on record as saying I think it's the best, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the best writing conferences on the planet. Um, But Christian fiction is really dominated by ACFW. Um, ACFW, uh, American Christian Fiction Writers, was was originally uh, American Christian Romance Writers. It was originally ACRW, and it grew out of... RWA it grew out of a Romance Writers of America, a group of Christians who were going to RWA and they uh, decided they all shared a faith. Hey, maybe we should have a group. Now, I, I point that out only to say that's the reason why Christian fiction has been dominated by romance stories instead of by literary fiction. If you go to the general market, uh, uh, if you go to the genre, you walk into Barnes and Noble and everything. The, the bestsellers, the huge bestsellers, the big books, tend to be literary fiction. They're not always. Sometimes, I mean, you know, last year, you know, the girl on the train, which was right. a, uh, uh, you know, a, a mystery. Um, but so sure, sometimes there are books like that. But the fact is, the really influential books in the culture, t- uh, in the general market, tend to be literary fiction. Yeah. I think we tend to lack a lot of those really influential Christian novels. And the reason is not because of the worldview. It's not because the faith doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't work. It's because so many people, the vast majority of people getting into Christian fiction are looking to write category books. And they're basically looking to, most of them, the vast majority are looking to write romances. Again, that's not a criticism. It's just an observation. And I just want you you to understand that I think that there is still space for great literary fiction in CBA. And I would point to, you know, there are a couple of companies, uh, specifically uh, Thomas Nelson and Tyndale, who have done quite a bit of literary fiction. Bethany House has done some. Ravel has done some. Waterbrook has done some, but um, certainly dominated by Thomas Nelson. Um, and, the, and I represent some of those writers. You know, uh, if you're looking for a literary story, um, have a look. Uh, there's a new author, and I'm just pulling out one. I mean, I could pull out others, but let me pull out one. Rachel Linden is a new yeah. author. Her first book's just come out uh, with Thomas Nelson. And um, take a look at what she's writing, where she is creating well-crafted, meaningful, and I think uh, really significant stories that are, in fact, literary fiction instead of being um, uh, instead of being just just romances. And uh, um, and and Thomas also certainly has plenty of other uh, authors like that. But I just. Um, uh, oops, Rachel's. I just dropped my glasses. Rachel's book, her first novel, *The Ascension of Larks*, is um, it's just a, what a great title. Bit, 
of yeah, it's just a fabulous bit of literary writing. And uh, and like I say, there there are others at uh, at Thomas Nelson who are doing that. They're, they've been without question, I think, the leader in that sort of thing. You know, when I was, I used to work with uh, Gina Holmes, uh, who was. Uh, publishing at Tyndale, and she was doing literary fiction there. And, and I, I mean, like I say, there's a bunch of people. I, all the books that Lisa Sampson did at Random House. I mean, I, in other words, there are. This is happening at other places as well. Uh, the books that Ann Tatlock did at Bethany House, or that Elizabeth Musser was doing. I mean, in other words, I can throw out other names of people who I represented who right. doing literary fiction at other houses. But just to pull out a recent one, um, yeah, this is an example. If you want to see what Christian literary fiction looks like, pick up a copy of Ascension of Larks um, by Rachel Linden. And I'm not I'm not doing that to try and sell books. I'm I'm doing that to try and help people understand the difference the style, in style, the, the the concept, her concept, her conceptualization of of a story, the style, the and then the infusion of Christianity within a story that is considered literary fiction. And this is something that um, when I first read Anna Karenina, I walked away changed. You just walk away changed. And at the very, very end, the very end, you realize that he's coming to terms with being a Christian. And um, so I hope I didn't (laughs) throw out a spoiler there for people who haven't read a thousand pages of Anna Karenina. But um, you know what? I wanted to talk to you. I don't know if you've ever read or seen this study about literary fiction versus other kinds of other genres. And that includes all categorical uh, fiction and nonfiction. So have you seen this study that shows that people that read literary fiction are changed um, in their how how of course how they uh, in um, in their lives, but their empathy is deepened toward people that have um, have experienced have are in the story, so they connect with the characters' situation and much more than nonfiction. Because when you're reading nonfiction, you're dealing with somebody's issue problem and you're you're listening to them as they're working through it you're not experiencing it yourself right. you are experiencing right. experiencing oh, i can't say it as as you read the fiction because there is no real person there so you infuse yourself as that character into the story and you work through it um it was very interesting have you have you seen that study uh, I have, and send, I've had several people reference it to me um, in, in different things. Uh, I'll like send you, you the link. You know, send it to me on Facebook and, and send it to me okay. on, uh, on the blog. I'll send it to you on Facebook. I actually blogged about it because I found it so incredibly interesting. And, of course, it, uh, not, the cat, not the genre fiction because genre fiction is just a little tromp through a park. You know, I mean, they may be thrillers and they're scary or horror and that's frightening and you know, and, and romance, and that's love, and all that sort of thing, but they're not um, involving this certain part of your brain that literary fiction does. I'll send you the link. It's very interesting. Great. Great. Yeah. So, um, you know, you you are still very active on Facebook, and that's lovely, and I know that you are very helpful to authors on Facebook as well. Um, I know that there were as with the blog, you had a little bit of bounce back um, for, because of the whole political thing, um, yeah. which is just yeah. heartbreaking. I, I myself dug in with all fours. <laughs> but, but, 
but people that are much smarter than me did not, and so they stayed above the above the uh, the the sea of yuck that was happening and um, and is still happening, unfortunately. But um, but are you still as active on Facebook in helping people, or did that that whole experience, as with your blog, uh, turn you away from that as well? Oh no, I, I mean. I try and be helpful. There are times I think people um, look. I want us to have dialogue. I think we're a better country. I think we're a better culture if we have dialogue about important topics. I think that there's been a huge uh, disagreement, and we've really seen a split uh, in the church over. Over this, um, I've never been one who feels that there is, you know, the, I've never been one who felt that the Republican Party was the Christian Party or the Party of Christians, um, and that the Democrats, you know, were not. Uh, and um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very open in saying, uh, in my opinion. And I know you don't want to turn this into a political discussion, but in my opinion, yeah, Christians had I, – I struggled with uh, how voting for Trump was going to make America great again. Um, and so because of that um, and because I apparently was in the minority uh, with the, uh, among Christians on that particular topic, yeah, I have a uh, – we certainly have fewer friends on Facebook than we did. Um, yeah. But it's – in a sense, it's too bad because this, to me, this is um, this is sort of the evil spawn of talk radio. You turn on—I right. uh, don't know about you, but I, I, first of all, I have outrage fatigue. I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm getting I outraged too. about everything, and and I I do not ever turn on a TV to watch people yell at each other or to watch people. <laughs> You know, shout over the top of each other. Um, the notion of can I jump in here just, just for a second? Can I add, say sure. something just for? But the majority of people that watch TV watch reality TV shows, and I do not watch those. And so they're just thinking that this is like the f- most fun administration, just because it's so divisive and so um, incredibly well interesting for one. But um, and so I, that talks to our culture. I mean, it, it does, do you see that coming out? It, it doesn't. It, it, it. Do you see that coming out in the books that you're getting? As far as um, oh yeah, absolutely. You, yeah, you do. Oh wow. Yeah, I, and I see it. I, I see it happening um, in in just in the proposals that I get for example. Oh you no. Know, and I, and I, you know and. and and it's interesting. I don't. Uh, um, I, I am all for us having discussions, which I think that's one of the things that books allow us to do is to have discussions. But everything does not have to be a polemic. We right. do not all have to agree on every point of doctrine in the church, which is why we have denominations. Nor do we have to agree on every point of politics. Um, and certainly, you know, you don't have to agree on every point of politics to be a Christian. And and that, I think, has been the the area where I've struggled with most 
Um, so I don't know when people are listening to this, but you know, as we are recording this, it's a few days after the president said something very disparaging about um, right uh, uh, ethnic know, group about some countries. And right. um, and I won't say the word here on your on your your show, but um, you know I I see people uh, I see you know good good Christians. I mean people who I think are are really good people, and I see them making a defense of the president's remarks. And I have to say, I I don't think Christ would do that. I I don't think I. I I, I think Christ would be appalled at disparaging people that way, and I, and um, that's why it's I totally unfair. agree. Yeah, and, and, and this notion of people saying, which if you, you know, according to Scripture, you know, the leaders we have are God ordained. Yeah, let's not take that so far as to suggest then that um, we shouldn't expect. Uh, Polite or uh, 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 we shouldn't expect polite or or gracious uh, behavior right. from and our president because we should and we should insist on that. I've heard that argument and um, that is and and I I always find that interesting because the, the framers of the uh, Constitution were also leaders and so therefore they were Christ ordained. If you're going to go to that logic, and therefore we have the United States Constitution, which tells us how, what we can do and what we right. cannot do in any given governmental situation. Um, so that's, an, that's to, but to me, we, the, you know, I just had something on, I just had something on Facebook about this, and, um, you know, and I had a couple people come on to argue, let's make America, you know, we're going to make America great, great again, and one I only see one solution people. for that. Right. And, and you know, and, and, and people talking, and I'm going to relate this back to publishing, but um, I had a couple people in publishing, uh, in the Christian publishing side, talk about, uh, you know, talk about, well, the economy is up, uh, you know, <laughs> things are looking, things are looking good. And, and I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think that, I, I, I'm not sure that um, the economy or, uh, it, you know, trumps my faith. I, I, I'm not sure that, um, you know, having right. publishing do well, I'm certainly glad when publishing does well because I make my living in publishing. But I can't allow that to trump my faith. I can't allow it to be where, well, the economy is good, so how we treat people doesn't matter. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been important to me for years, I have been preaching this, is uh, that in our country, publishing is exceedingly white and upper class, exceedingly. Um, right. And uh, I've been <laughs> I've been beating this drum for decades now, uh, but the. Uh, the 2017 uh, report was just issued here about a week ago. Uh, you know, African Americans make up less than two percent of jobs in all of publishing. Now, wow. Uh, um, it, wow. Uh, uh, yeah, and um, 
Asian Americans actually, I think, are, are and and Native Americans make up less than one percent. Uh, in our publishing, um, Asian Americans like make up somewhere I think around four to five percent. Now the fact is, um, I, I know that we can argue that there's, you know, the world is not filled with perfect quotas, and I get that. But when, as Christians, when you see that happening, then you work to make it better. You know, you you go out of your way to say uh, there's a significant percentage of the population that's not having books written to them. And the reason is because they don't have people who necessarily share what's important to them who are writing and acquiring and publishing and marketing and selling those books. Right. Um, and so, see, to me, there is a greater vision here about how my faith affects the way I do my job and even the very books that I select. So, uh, because I, because we, this ties together in the sense that I do think that books change us. As a matter of fact, I would argue books change us far more than music changes us, far, far more than most like, visual arts in terms of you know, paintings or photographs changes. I think we can be moved by something, but I'm hard-pressed to say, I, you know, I saw a painting in my life was never the same. But I can point to books that did that. And um, uh, so I, I continue to believe in the power of the printed word. I continue to believe in the ability of books and words to change us and to change the culture and make us better. Right. So, and, yeah, and I agree with you. And um, the uh, the it's the storytelling aspect. Um, and, of course, you can derive a story or, or think of something that may not really be there in visual art, but you can say, oh, this means this, this. You, you interpret it a certain way, right. which may right. not be the, the way the artist had originally right. intended, but with story it's pretty difficult to get off track in what the author is intending. Um, also the same with, um, with poetry and songwriting um, because they're very uh, metaphorical. They're very, you know, and of course with songwriting, there's the music aspect of it. So you're hitting a different part of your brain when you're getting um, song and it's, and it does something. It sticks with you, and you may love the song, and it may be something that you'll never forget, the words, everything, but it may not change your life the way, say, Anna Karenida has changed mine. Right. So, and we're getting up on 10 minutes before the hour, and I don't want to um, cut you off in the middle of a sentence <laughs> when, when the show just No, that's ends. fine. Like, <laughs> because it will. No, that, that, that's it's fine. been I, remarkable. I, I always... I always love having you on the show. You are like an the, the consummate instructor, and um, I always learn something when you're on this show, and I'm sure that our listeners do as well. Um, so, Chip, thank you so much again for being being here with me today. I know that you're super busy, and this is just a real gesture for you to, to do this. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy talking about publishing and writing and books and words. And so um, best to you and to your listeners, if they want to see more, they can always visit the blog, which is just mynamechipmcgregor.com. 
Um, and if they want to learn about the company, they can look us up at McGregorLiterary.com. So okay, uh, I would wonderful. encourage writers, by the way, to, you know, to think about you know, anybody who's listening who's a writer who's thinking about their story and what they're going to do. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the, the best advice I have for you is, is continue to write. You know, if you have a story that's inside your head and you've got to write it down, then write it down for goodness sake. And uh, because that is, that is the way I think that the culture changes is we write things down and people read them and are changed because of them. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful words of wisdom. Thank you so much for being on the show. You bet. All right. All best. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Again, everybody, that was Chip McGregor with McGregor Literary Agency, and his um, website is www.mcgregorliterary.com. And again, uh, like he, uh, like Chip said, you can find his blog at chipmcgregor.com. And McGregor, for those of you um, that aren't Scottish and <laughs> think you can spell his name is <laughs> M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R um, ChipMcGregor.com and if you ever see that Chip McGregor is going to be at a writing conference he often wears a kilt and I would suggest going just for that just for that folks um, again Chip McGregor uh, literary Agency is one of the highest-ranking literary agencies out there. Um, and as for me, you can find me at SusanWingate.com, and you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all those social sites, like I said before. Um, expect something coming out pretty soon, uh, I believe by the end of February, um, and uh, I'm very excited about this new work. So until next week, holy moly, you guys take care and uh, and keep it real. Peace and out.